asking people, and I've been saying, what, what are the things you're thankful for? I've even been trying to, uh, there are some people that, that just say, oh, I don't know if I have anything I can be thankful for. And, and I want to look at them and say, really? I, I, I even heard someone this last week, I was telling my wife about this, I, I heard someone say, I have, right now I have nothing to be thankful for. I have nothing, there, there's nothing I can be thankful for. Maybe one thing, that there's a God in heaven. And, and I thought back to things that I had seen just the night before and situations that people had been in. And I thought to myself, I didn't say anything, but I thought, You've got a lot more to be thankful for than some situations I've seen in some people. And so this week we, we talk about this and we look at this and we, we had that list and we've been asking these things. And one thing that I noticed wasn't in the song and I haven't heard anybody say that they were thankful for. And maybe you are thankful for this, but there's something I haven't heard. I haven't heard anybody say, I'm thankful for my neighbors. God has just given me the best neighbors. They're wonderful. And maybe that's you. Maybe God's given you some wonderful neighbors. But at the same time, some of you are sitting here going, oh, oh. And today, you see the text, John 4, 1 to 26. We're going to talk about Jesus and the Samaritan woman. And that's where we're, where we're heading. And as we look at that, um, Jews and Samaritans, oh, they, they did not get along. And I'd like to look at a little bit of the background of that. He, um, in, if you look at the bulletin, it says we're going to talk about the story of Jeroboam and Rehoboam and, and the foundation of that. We, we read about Jeroboam and Rehoboam this morning in our scripture reading. And I, I'd like to explain a little bit and get a little bit of background into this situation in looking and thinking about talking about neighbors, I, I looked at some cases of extreme bad neighbors. There, there was some bad neighbors where um, someone thought that a present had been stolen. And in the end, a few months later, after one neighbor thought that another neighbor's daughter had taken an Amazon present off the step. It resulted in three people being shot, three different neighbors being, oh, that's some neighborhood feuding. There's another story that, that started over Facebook. One neighbor wrote something else about another neighbor. And before you know it, walls were going up. And the walls, these walls in Texas got, you know the story, everything's bigger in Texas, right? And the walls got so hot that they were 12 foot high walls between these neighbors. And before they put the walls up, they painted pictures of pigs on the wall and put the and security cameras were going up and loud music and and oinking noises to and garbage cans being hurled at the man some bad neighbors i know some of you guys out there you say i've got that neighbor and, and you, you're like i've got a rough neighbor and, and stuff but as i as i think about this situation sometimes there's problems out there and there's people who are instigating things. And in John chapter 3, what we just were talking about last week is that there were 
some people who wanted to instigate problems between John the Baptist and Jesus. Oh, Jesus, you know, John the Baptist is baptizing people. He might even be baptizing more people than you. What are you going to do about it, John the Baptist? Jesus, hey, John the Baptist is baptizing people. To us, it's like, who cares? You know, we read that. But they were trying to instigate a feud between John the Baptist and Jesus. That's what the John chapter 4 says. As a matter of fact, when I look in John chapter 4, in verse 1 it says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though he himself did not baptize but his disciples, says in verse 3, He left Judea, and departed again into Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. And so these they were trying to antagonize Jesus and John the Baptist. And they're saying, hey, you guys are both baptizing people. And Jesus says, hey, I know exactly how to handle this situation. As a matter of fact, John the Baptist did the right thing too. We saw that the week before. He said, Jesus is number one, and I am number two. I'm just happy to be a groomsman. Jesus Christ is the groom. I'm just happy to see what he's doing. Look to Jesus. Jesus is number one. I'm number two. And his testimony said that Jesus is the Son of God. Pay attention to him. Listen to him. Jesus also knew what to do with this situation. He handled it with meekness. Strength under control. He didn't fire back at the Pharisees. He didn't start an argument with them. He just said, God's got something different for me. I'm going to leave this town and I'm going to head north to Samaria. And then in verse 4, one of just the most amazing things in all this passage of scripture, it says that he needed to go through Samaria. So I'm going to go up to Galilee. I'm going to have a ministry up there. And on the way, I need to go through Samaria. You ought to understand, that was a big deal. When he says, I need to go through Samaria. As he was, he was passing through this province of Samaria, this kind of like the state of Samaria, as he's walking through there, he's walking through a race war that had been going on for centuries had been big problems, and there had been big feuds that had come between the Samaritans and the Jews. There's a guy by the name of Ravi Zacharias. Many of you know him. I like to listen to him. I like to hear some of the things that he says. But he says that when, when God created us, we were all created in the image of God. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He said God ordained from the beginning your image and your likeness, your, your, your DNA is given by God. And it's special and it's sacred. And your gender, given by God, it is sacred and it is special. And so it's no wonder that today, when people begin talking about race and gender, that, that those things get fueled up and you could get into arguments and discussions about those things. And those things were given special by God. And 
and believe that they are sacred and special. And they should be taken seriously. And they're not to be uh, taken lightly, but at the same time, they, they offer a person some dignity. And so what I'd like to do today is I'd like to talk about why this is why this is such a big deal and the roots of this argument and how far they go back. And maybe that'll give us an opportunity to be thankful for our neighbors and, and to remember where we have come from and the good things that God has given us and to not make some big mistakes. So here I put a map on, on the screen. I don't know if you could see it. But there you can see Judea in the orange. And up at the top in the purple you see Galilee. So the Bible says that Jesus wanted to go from Judea up to Galilee. And on that map, you'll see there's a city of Sychar right in the middle of the blue. Matt's going to point to it there. Right in the middle of the blue in Samaria is the city of Sychar. The Bible says that Jesus needed to go through Samaria. And to me, it makes sense to go from Jerusalem up to Sychar into Galilee. Straight line. As a matter of fact, that map that I got is a road that goes right from Jerusalem to Sychar, to Judea. However, that's not the way that most Jews went, because it's got the roads during that time put there on the map. And most people, like if, if Jesus were most people, most Jews, they would avoid Samaria at all costs. And so you see there's another road, and they would take that road from Jerusalem and bypass Samaria, go along the outer rim of it, and up into Galilee. It would be a lot longer of a journey. But that's the way most Jews went. For one reason and one reason alone. To avoid Samaritans. If you called someone Samaritan, it was a dirty word. A uh, couple, couple of weeks ago, there was an incident in the NFL. There was a football player, a big, big man who you wouldn't want to meet in the back alley of, a, of the street. Took the football helmet off of another player in the middle of a game, and started taking his own helmet and swinging it at him. It was news all over the place. When You probably heard about it. Maybe you saw it. And in the middle of in that, as that man has been suspended for taking another man's helmet off of his head and start beating him with his own helmet, he says, he was calling me a bad name, a racial slur before that happened. You know what they're saying now? We, we, we don't know. We... we we can't, there's no evidence. We, we don't know what's the truth and what's the lie. And, and let me tell you, if that quarterback was saying those racial slurs, that wasn't a good thing to do. It, was un, it wasn't appropriate. But a, as I look at that, you know there are racial slurs for every race out there. There are racial slurs that can be said. And calling someone, if you were a Jew and you said, oh, you Dirty, filthy, Samaritan. That was a bad racial slur. And this problem had been festering in Israel for hundreds of years. And let's look at, and let's take some time right now, and let's look at the history of Samaria. The history of Samaria. It goes way back to 1 Kings chapter 11. So let's take our Bibles. And let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 11. This morning we read for in our scripture, in our responsive scripture reading, we read 1 Kings chapter 12. But in 1 Kings chapter 11, 
there is a man who shows up on the scene whose name is Jeroboam. And at the time, Solomon is the king in Israel. And Solomon being the king in Israel, you guys know the story of Solomon. He was the wisest king in Israel. He was the most wealthy king in Israel. He was David's son, and, and he had some problems, but he made Israel prosper. He grew, grew the empire, and the wealth of Solomon was known around the world. And then in 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 29 to 40, we read these words. Now it happened at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem, that the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, met him on the way, and he had clothed himself with a new garment. And the two were alone in the field. Then Ahijah took hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it in twelve pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourselves ten pieces. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give ten tribes to you. But he shall give one tribe for the sake of my he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David, and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, because they had forsaken me, and worship Asherah, the goddess of the Sidonites, Shemush, the god of, the god of the Moabites, and Milcon, the god of the people of Ammon, and have not walked in my ways to do what is right in my eyes, and keep my statutes and my judgments, as did his father David. However, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, because I have made him a ruler all the days of his life for the sake of my servant David, whom I chose because he kept my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand and give it to you, ten tribes. And to his son... I will give one tribe, that my servant David may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen for myself, to put my name there. So I will take you, and you shall reign over all your heart desires, and you shall be king over Israel. Then it shall be, if you heed all that I command you, to walk in my ways and to do what is right in my sight to keep my statutes and my commandments, as my servant David did. Then I will be with you and build for you an enduring house, as I built for David, and will give Israel to you. And I will afflict the descendants of David because of this, but not forever. Solomon therefore sought to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt to Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. So here we have this story of this prophet Ahijah, who has this prophecy for the king, King Jer for Jeroboam, who became an enemy of King Solomon. Ahijah, you saw there, we just read it, that he takes this new garment and he tears it into 12 pieces. And he gives ten of them to Jeroboam. He says, Jeroboam, here's what God is going to do. He is going to take the nation of Israel 
And he is going to divide it in half. Here's the reason why. Because they've forgotten about me. I laid them a good foundation. King David was a good king who was focused on me. But Solomon has let sin and idols creep into the nation. And because of that, this nation is going to be torn apart. Jeroboam, I promise, you are going to become the king of ten of them. And then Ahijah had a message for Jeroboam. He said, Jeroboam, you have a responsibility. If you are going to become the king over ten nations, you are responsible to do what is right. To do what is right like David did. And if you do that, your kingdom is going to be established. And it will grow. And at that moment, Jeroboam and Solomon became enemies. Because God just said to Jeroboam, hey, I'm going to rip Solomon's kingdom in half. And I'm going to give you 10 out of the 12 tribes. And so, Solomon, so Jeroboam ran to Egypt. And for the rest of the life of Solomon, Jeroboam spends his time in Egypt. When Solomon dies, his son, Rehoboam, and this is, this is where it gets tricky. I mean, I've been teaching the book of John for a long time. And one of the things that kids get so confused on, and you probably get confused on too, is who's Rehoboam and who's Jeroboam? Like, like which one's which? Well, Rehoboam is the son of Solomon. And he became the king when Solomon died. And all of a sudden, Jeroboam comes back. He says, Solomon's dead. Good. His son, maybe his son will listen to reason. And in what we read this morning, it says that Jeroboam came back to Rehoboam. And he said, hey, Rehoboam, lighten the load. Your dad was tough on us. Because guess what? To become the wealthiest king in the nation's history, you've heard of the wealth of Solomon. It takes a lot of hard work. I look at the nation of America, right? And the when nation of America, the United States of America, became what we call a superpower, it took a lot of hard work. And you look back at the time at the end of World War II and what happened in this country, there were a lot of people doing a lot of hard work. They don't call it the greatest generation for nothing. A lot of people did some amazing things and, and this nation was blessed by God because of the hard work that people had done. But then along comes Jeroboam and he says, hey, your dad was tough on us. He, he, he had us doing a lot of stuff to make this nation great. But we are, we're a great nation here. Settle down a little bit. Lighten the load. I'm going to give you three days to make your decision. I, I just, I put that up there because isn't it interesting how many times that three days pops up in the Bible? Three days, three days, three days. And here he says, Rehoboam, you've got three days to make a decision. So the first thing that Rehoboam does is he goes to his father's trusted advisors. We just read it. And he asked him, hey, guys, what should I do? 
His father's trusted advisor said, you know, Jeroboam's kind of right. Your dad, he was tough. Lighten up on him. Go easy on him. Let, let, let them feel a little less burden right now. The Bible says that Rehoboam heard the advice of his father's advisors and said, Nah, I don't think I'm going to do that. He made a big mistake. He ran to his peers. His father's advisor said, listen to Jeroboam, lighten up a little bit. But then he went and he listened to the people that were his own age. And he listened to the voice of his peers. The people that he'd grown up with. I, I work with junior hires at school. I have a ninth grade homeroom right now. And in that ninth grade homeroom, I got a group of boys. I see this every single day. Rather than listening to the good advice of their parents or their teachers, their friends will say, hey, you know, you should really do this. And they think, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Because all their friends are telling it's not a good idea. You guys know 13, 14, but this guy's a little bit older than that. We still know 20, 30-year-olds that listen to their peers when they should be listening to the advice of their fathers, their father's friends. It makes a big difference. Let me tell you, guys, if you're a young guy, there's someone who's been down the road a little bit, has seen things once or twice. Listen to them. Let me tell you, tell you something. Something happened to my car. I'm not going to go to a 20-year-old who's been tinkering in the back of his... I'm going to go to a guy who's been working on cars, has a trusted reputation, and listen to his advice because he knows what he's doing. He's been around for a while. Just because it's new doesn't mean that it's better. And as I look at this, as I look at this, there was a list of things. He said, my dad... Put a big yoke on you. You had a big burden to carry. I'm going to heap things on top of it. I'm going to make your, your burden heavier. That didn't sit too well with the nation of Israel and with Jeroboam. Then he said, my little finger, my pinky, is going to be thicker than my dad's waist. My dad held you down with his fist, with his waist, and made you work. Trust me, I'm going to be tougher with my pinky than... Oh, that must not have sat well. Then the third thing that he said, he said, my dad, he whipped you with whips. And, and if you read it in the New King James, it says, my dad whipped you with whips, and I'm going to whip you with scourges. And most, that doesn't make any, to me, that's like, I don't know. The literal translation is, my father, and if you've got a King James, it says this, right? My father punished you with whips. I will do it with scorpions. That's the, that's the word there. And, and you just picture that. I mean, I don't think he really meant to whip. He said, my sting is going to be a whole lot worse than my dad's was. If you get out of line, you disobey me. I'm going to be a whole lot tougher than my dad. And he listened to his friends and that advice. So you know what? You know what Jeroboam said? He said, goodbye. See you later. I'm leaving. And so is anybody who else wants to leave with me? And just like God promised, ten tribes went. 
Now there's a divide. There's an argument. And Rehoboam and Jeroboam are, are at odds. And the Jew versus Samaritan debate begins. Here's the foundation for it. This moment when Jeroboam says, see you later. Now, as I look up there on the board, we look at Jesus and John the Baptist. There was a disagreement that people wanted to start with them. And both Jesus and John the Baptist reacted with meekness and said, I am going to defer in this situation. Uh, in John the Baptist's case, he said, he said, look to Jesus, he's better. He's number one, I'm number two. Jesus Christ said, John the Baptist has a ministry here right now. The Father wants me, and the plan is that I'm going to go to Galilee, and I'm going to do what God wants me to do, and I'm going to get out of this situation. In the case of Jeroboam and Rehoboam, Jeroboam is told by Ahijah the prophet, he says, hey, here's your responsibility. You are going to get ten tribes. Do right with them. Do good. And, and Jeroboam could have. He could have done what was right. He could have acted just like David. And this disagreement that Rehoboam started could have worked out good for, the whole, for all of Samaria. But it didn't. Did you want to know what happened? Jeroboam said, hey, I don't want to have any relationship with the Jews in the south and Judah in the south. And I don't want you going down there. As a matter of fact, there's one place I don't want you to go. I don't want you to go to Jerusalem. I don't want you to go to the temple. And so we have, we have this thing. And, and if we're going to understand the Bible, if we're going to understand the books of 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, and 2 Chronicles, we have to understand this phrase. He sinned in the sin of Jeroboam. <coughs> When you're reading the Bible and you're reading through it, you read 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, you see he was good like King David or he sinned in the sin of Jeroboam. And you go, if you haven't been reading the Bible long, you go, what is the sin of Jeroboam? I'd like to explain that to you. What Jeroboam did that was wrong. I've got a map up there. You can see that after Rehoboam and Jeroboam had their disagreement, the nation was split. You see Judah in the south, you see Israel in the north. Rehoboam ruled in Judah. And Jeroboam ruled in Israel in the north. The ten tribes in the north. And Rehoboam said, I don't want people going to Jerusalem. We already saw where Jerusalem was. He said, I don't want people going there. I don't want them going to the temple. Because if they go there, they might fall back under Rehoboam. And I might lose control of my kingdom. So he said, I don't want you to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to set up my own places of worship in two places. One of them is in Dan, way up in the north. Matt's going to show you. You'll see way up in the north is Dan. And the other place is Bethel. And he took two places and he set them up to worship in 1 Kings chapter 12 and verse 43. And excuse me, 1 Kings chapter 12. Verse 24, and going into chapter 13, we find the sin 
of Jeroboam. In verses 28 to 31 of chapter 12, we read these words. It says, Therefore the king asked advice and made two, gold, two calves of gold and said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set up one in Bethel, and the other one he put in Dan. Now this thing became a sin for the people who were to worship before the one as far as Dan. He made shrines of the high places and made priests from every class of people who were not of the sons of Levi. So right from the beginning, Jeroboam says, Hey, I don't want you to go down to Jerusalem because I'm afraid that you'll worship God down there and you'll follow Rehoboam. So I'm going to set up these two places for you to worship a false god. One in Dan and one in Bethel. He says, I'd rather you spend your time there than going down to Jerusalem. He sets up these golden calves. And if you know anything about the Bible, and you can think back to Moses in the Red Sea, when the children of Israel got out of Egypt, they made that golden calf. And that was a great and egregious sin against the Lord. And that's the same case here. As Jeroboam says, hey, these are your gods. Worship them. And today, we're going to get ourselves in a whole lot of trouble when we take our eyes off of the Savior and put them on anything else. If someone ever wants to tell you that there's another way to worship, that there's another God to listen to, that there's someone else to pray to other than Jehovah, other than the God of the Bible, don't listen to them. God wants you in church on Sunday. He wants you praying throughout the week. He wants you in his word. And the devil's going to try to do anything that he can to keep you from God's house, to keep you from praying, from worshiping him. Don't be swayed by the devil. Don't follow the sin of Jeroboam. And in Genesis, in First Kings, in First Kings chapter thirteen and verse one, Jeroboam had made a mistake. And God sent a man of God to Jeroboam, and something begins to happen. In verse two, this man of God—I can only picture what's going on here because in my mind I have this inaugural service of of the altar at Bethel. Worship, come everybody, worship this golden calf. We're going to have our first sacrifice. And so you people of Israel, you Samaritans, you can come and you can worship your God. Here it is. We've got it. You can see it and you can worship it here. Come and worship the first sacrifice. And a great crowd is gathered and they're there to worship. And all of a sudden, this man of God steps out of the crowd. And here's what we read in verse 2. Then he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord. O altar, altar, thus says the Lord. Behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David. And on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you. And men's bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign 
the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Surely the altar shall split apart, and the ashes on it shall be poured out. So this man of God says, There is going to come a child king. And I'm going to go so far as to tell you what his name is going to be. Josiah is going to come to the nation of Judah and he's going to change everything. And then I'm telling you what else is going to happen. You're going to see a sign today and this altar here before you, it's going to split in two. I got to admit that probably Jeroboam wasn't very happy that this man of God is telling him that he's wrong and is coming to him and, and confronting him. It'd be like if all of a sudden, if I stood here on a Sunday morning and I said, you know what, church? Listen up. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. He literally died on the cross. And three days later, he rose again. And if someone were to stand up and say, uh, no, I disagree. I think you're I wouldn't be too happy. And I might ask someone to, to escort him out of here if that were the case. And I might say, hey, hey we need to get back to what we're going to talk about today. This is inappropriate. Jeroboam does the same thing, except for he's in the wrong. Jeroboam has committed an egregious sin that is going to be talked about for centuries in setting up these false gods, these golden calves, and setting up this altar that, that is going to try to keep millions of people from the house of God. It said, so it, in verse 4, it says, So it came to pass. That when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God who cried out against the altar in Bethel, that he stretched out his hand from the altar saying, Arrest him! Then his hand, which he stretched out toward him, withered so that he could not put it back to himself. The altar was also split apart and the ashes poured out from that altar according to the sign which the man of, man of God had given by the word of the Lord. Now, now, if you picture this, this, this King Jeroboam, he says, arrest that man right now. Get him out of here. And as soon as he does that, his hand begins to like shake and shrivel up and it gets stuck like that. I've always said, I, I have a picture in my mind of what this looks like. My dad's brother has a shriveled hand. He has a hand, he has one hand that's absolutely healthy and strong. Uh, my dad always told me when he was a kid, because uh, my dad's brother can't use his legs and he can't use his arm. So that one arm was stronger than the other three appendages. So so if you caught, if you could get away from Uncle Donnie, you're okay. But if you ever got to with that one hand, that hand was really, really strong. And his other hand is shriveled. It's stuck like this. And I always picture that Jeroboam's hand went from being a strong, healthy hand to shriveled and stuck there. Could you imagine if I said, hey, arrest him, and then all of a sudden my hand started to... That'd be terrible. I think we'd all be like, ah! And his hand was stuck. And in a few seconds, he's begging that man for forgiveness and for his hand to be healed. And the altar splits in half. Don't you think everyone noticed what was going on? There's a word for that. It's called a theophany. God showed up in that moment. He says, Jeroboam, I gave you a chance. Just like God has given every single one of us a chance. <clears throat> Even in the midst of having a bad neighbor, an enemy. 
God gives us a chance. And he told Jeroboam exactly what he's supposed to do. Follow God with all his heart like David did. The first thing he does is he runs from everything that made David good. God says that's a terrible sin. You know what happened? 300 years later. Oh, well, first of all, the prophet restored his hand. And then 300 years later, a child is born. And guess what his name is? Josiah. Wow. 300 years later. In my reading of the Bible, I get that everybody had forgotten about that prophecy. Because as I look at the time, it talks about that in 2 Kings chapters 22 and 23. And I encourage you to read that story later. We don't got time for that this morning. But in that story, I read and the word of God wasn't being preached. It wasn't being taught. They didn't even have copies of it. I think everybody had forgotten about this old man who had come up and said, years from now, I promise you that these altars are going to be destroyed and a child Josiah by name is going to do it. Everybody had forgotten about Josiah. And 300 years later, an eight-year-old king comes to power, Josiah by name, and he reigns. And he restores the word and worship of Yahweh. If you think that all is lost, all is forgotten, let me tell you, there's times, even in the nation of Israel, even in the nation of Judah, when everybody thought they'd forgotten about God and God was done, that God sent revival. And if you think your family has just forgotten about God and they've run away from God, there's no hope. God sent Josiah. He can send somebody to your family to make a change, to make a difference. If you think there's no hope and, and, and nothing's going to happen, your children who have run from the, away from the Lord, remember, God sent Josiah at a bleak moment. And what we read about Josiah is that he systematically destroyed idol worship through the whole land. Just like that man of God had promised. Especially in Bethel. Wow. Let's look at 2 Kings chapter 23. Verses 15 and 18. God keeps his promises. Always. And so if God says, I'm going to send a king... Josiah by name, you know that God will do that. In 2 Kings, verses 23, verses 15 to 18, it says, Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel, and the high place where Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who, was made, who made Israel sin, had made both the altar and the high place, he broke down. And he burned the high place and crushed it to powder and burned the wooden images. As Josiah turned, he saw the tombs that were there on the mountain. And he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God had proclaimed, who proclaimed these words. Then he said, what gravestone is this that I see? So the men of the city told him, 
It is the it is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judea and proclaimed these things which you have done against the altar of Bethel. And he said, Let him alone. Let no one move his bones. So they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophets who came from Samaria. Three hundred years later, God answered his promises. That was the beginning of the split. That was the beginning of the argument between the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah, the Samaritans and the Jews. And next week, we're going to look at a tale of two cities, Jerusalem and Samaria. We're going to see what was different about those two cities and how God worked in one and the other one fell in destruction. Let's pray. Dear only Father, I thank you and I praise you. You're greater than an argument. Lord, I pray that you might help us to act like Jesus and to act in meekness, to act like John the Baptist and to defer. Lord, we looked at the life of Jeroboam and Rehoboam today. We saw the argument, the split between those guys. And we see how it started when Rehoboam listened to his peers instead of his father's advisors. And I just pray, Lord, that you might help us to listen to wise counsel and to defer to others when needed. And Lord, I pray that you might help us to act in meekness. And Lord, I also pray that you might help us to uh, not follow the sin of Jeroboam, but to give our heart fully, completely to you and see that you are faithful, that you will work your promises. God, you are good, and I thank you for that. Bless us today in Jesus' name. Amen.